Good morning. How cool was that? Did you get it? Come together, the church, come together. Yeah, they're awesome. They're phenomenal. Anyway, hey, I have really, really good news to kick off this week's message. We had a great week. Turn to your neighbor and tell them with a smile and passion, you had a good week. Okay, now wait a minute. Here, here's my deal. When we woke up this morning, it was 39 degrees. It wasn't even safe to go outside. And so there were like five people who came to the 930 service. You all were smart, stayed in, let the sun come up, got properly caffeinated. So what that means is you, you got to be, you know, bringing it a little bit. So now tell your neighbor, you had a good week. There it is. Thank you very much. That's what I, I knew you could. I knew it. Here's why you had a good week. This past week out in the desert in Las Vegas, there was a large gathering of, believe it or not, in Las Vegas, a large gathering of women in ministry and in leadership. It's the Leading and Loving It Retreat. It's a conference. About a thousand women were out there from all over the country, some from out of the country, and we were, we as a church, we kind of, we kind of, we represented. We actually showed out, as the kids say. And uh, we were represented really well by our very own, by my very own, Julie Richard, who gave the closing keynote at the Leading and Loving It retreat this week. I think we've got a picture of Julie speaking. I think we've got, there it is. That, that's just a good looking woman right there. And just trust me, she kisses good too. Look at the good, this a, look at all those women in there. Is that incredible? It was unbelievable. Now, yeah, give it up. Now, here's, here's what you need to know. It was a women's event, but I did sneak in the very, very back and listen. And I can tell you with complete objectivity and no partiality whatsoever that Julie absolutely crushed it. It was unbelievable. The, the vibe in the whole room, in addition to what Julie did from the, from the worship and the other speakers, was absolutely phenomenal. To see all of these women in ministry and leadership in churches and, and elsewhere across the country to be celebrated, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be lifted up and inspired. Here's what's amazing to me. I was sitting there watching this whole thing unfold, and I couldn't help but think, about that old Las Vegas TV commercial. You know the one that says, what happens in Vegas? Stays in Vegas. I know some of you are thinking, I don't know if I should say that out loud in church. <laughs> but it's the commercial. I'm not saying that you've ever adopted that. But when I was sitting there, I thought, that was, that, by the way, that's never been the case. This, this false dichotomy that some people, not in here, but others would create that, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And thanks for playing, no. Because no matter where you go, no matter what you do, what we do is always an expression of who you are. And who you really are is who you are when you think nobody's looking. So whether it's in Vegas or Timbuktu or Austin, 6th Street, happy hour, that, ain't, that has never been the case. But at leading and loving it this week, I thought, man, what happens in Vegas is going to change the world to have these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women celebrated, encouraged, and inspired, going back. These women that were there in the room, they represent over a half 
million people around our country and beyond. And for their leaders, for those women to go back into those churches, into those homes and their families, excited and encouraged to stay in the game, it was just, it was an amazing, amazing thing. But I thought about that, that what happens here stays here mentality, that vibe. And I actually think it's the perfect segue into this next installment of the series that we've been in for the last few weeks, this, this good to go series that we've been in, this, this season that we're in as a church where we're really doing a deep dive on the great commission of Jesus. The last thing that Jesus said before he returned to heaven when he told his followers and any who would come after them, he said, I, I need you to go. Your, your job in this world as a follower of Christ is to go and make disciples. Go and invite other people. Go and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus, baptize them, and teach them to do the stuff that I've commanded you to do. This is, this is our great commission. Jesus commissioned it. He commanded it. And it's for anyone who goes by the name of Christ follower. And yet every single Christ follower who has ever been has lived in this tension between the personal and the public. There's what God does in our lives personally, and to be sure, he meets each and every one of us exactly where we are, and he loves each and every one of us so unconditionally and so perfect. He loves us too much to leave us there, and so he challenges us to, to play that out and to live out that relationship, to live out that faith in Christ in a public way. You see, our faith is never intended to rest only in the private. A lot of times, a lot of times, and I've done this before, so I know what I'm talking about. This is not out of a book that I read. A lot of times, we kind of adopt that Vegas mindset in our faith journey. Like, what happens between God and me stays between God and me. You see what I'm saying? When in reality, there's always, say always. Always. Always always a correlation between the personal and the public. You see, it's in connecting and serving that we bridge the gap between the personal and the public, between a personal experience of faith and that public expression of faith. It's a dynamic that Jesus himself played out 2,000 years ago when God put on human form and walked on this earth as a human being, his name, Jesus. Jesus regularly, regularly had to, had to wrestle to, to reconcile his divine purpose with his all-too-human passions. And for one, I'm really glad that the Bible tells us this, that the Bible records this wrestling that went on in the life of Jesus himself. This wrestling between his divine purpose and his human passions. And when I thought about that this week and I, and I was reading through and preparing for this message, I thought, how many times, how many times have, have we wrestled? Has anybody else here ever wrestled with what you thought God wanted you to do with what you felt like doing? Don't leave your preacher hanging on a Sunday morning. I mean, that, that's, that's just kind of part of what it means to be a human being. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Matthew chapter number 14. In Matthew 14, 
The Bible records what is easily one of the most famous of Jesus' miracles. But it's the context around this miracle that I think helps provide a roadmap for us as we wrestle with, with that reconciling of divine purpose and human passion, that, that, that reconciling between the personal and the public. You see it here in the life of Jesus. In the first part of Matthew chapter 14, Jesus receives word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed. He, he's been beheaded by King Herod. Now, just by way of background, King Herod was a gem of a guy. Besides being the puppet governor and king of Judea, the area around which Jesus did his earthly ministry, his hobbies included executing his brother so that he could marry his brother's sister. I mean, you talk about a rough Thanksgiving dinner. This was a tough family. It was, it was the whole plot line of, the, of that first season of Real Housewives of Palestine. It was something that, you, you, it was just so wheels off. And John the Baptist regularly used Herod's corruption and his sin as the centerpiece of his preaching ministry. And as you might imagine, Herod was not a big fan of John the Baptist. And so at the earliest convenience, he contrived a scenario so that he could execute John the Baptist. And Jesus receives word that his cousin, his, his collaborator in ministry, the guy who had baptized him, was dead. That, that's why we call him John the Baptist, by the way. That wasn't a denominational affiliation. That was the fact that he had actually baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And Jesus gets word that he's been executed. And look at how the Bible records this, the context immediately preceding this incredible, famous miracle. Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Man, just, just that, that little slice of scripture by itself tells you so much about the heart of Jesus. It tells you so much about who he is. That, that he wanted some alone time. He, he needed some time to, to go and to grieve. You, you could probably surmise he's probably going to pray. But there, there was a, a mourning and a grieving and a processing of this personal pain that he was feeling. And, and Jesus had become such, if I can use this term in a good way, he had become such kind of a rock star in that area that, that the crowds were ahead of him. Twitter had already released where he was going to be. And, and so Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, across the lake in a boat, and when he got there, people had come from other towns by foot. They, they had heard, hey, he's going to end up over here. Let's go to this place. And, and, and I love that the Bible says that he saw the crowds as he got out of the boat. And have you ever been just exhausted? And like just, I mean, just slap woe out. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it's like, I just, I, I can't do any more people today. Has anybody else ever been there? I've asked this question before. Moms, how many of you moms have hidden in the bathroom from your kids? That's kind of the dynamic. You know what I'm talking about? And, 
And, and I, just, I just picture Jesus, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I just picture him getting out of the boat and seeing this throng of people coming at him. And, and, and in his perfect humanity, there had to have been a part of him that was just like, you got to be kidding me. But it said he had, he had compassion on the people. That also tells you a lot about Jesus. Even when he's tired and wanted to be alone, he wanted some me time. He had compassion on the people. I, I thought about when, when Jesus was tired, there, there were so many times, especially when our, when our kids were younger, I did this. How many of you are dads in the room? Can I see a show of hands if you're a dad? Now, awesome, thank you. You don't have to raise your hand on this next one, but I'm just going to present a scenario and see if this doesn't resonate at least somewhat with the dads and, and the moms, but there were times as a dad when I would see Emily or Joe do something or engaged in some kind of activity that they shouldn't have been engaged in, that, that either we had told them not to do or that was mildly life-threatening. And, and just there were times for me where I would just be like, yeah, I didn't see that. And I, I, was, just, I was too tired to mess with it. Now, you can laugh at that, or you, if your kids are out of the house, you can raise your hand if you ever went through that as a dad. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Now, I know some of you have got six-year-olds at home, and you're like, honey, I can't believe he would do that. That is terrible. But there were times, I mean, it happened all, not all, I shouldn't say all the time. I think like twice. But, like, I, I would see, you know, I would see Emily, like, just, leave her dishes in the, in the living room. And I, I just didn't have it in me to tell her, the dishwasher, you don't even have to wash them. I, I didn't even have the strength to do that. I'd just act like it didn't happen. Or I'd be like, yeah, Joe's on the roof. I, I, I don't even have, I, I can't. Just, I can't do it anymore. And yet, Jesus had compassion on the people. He, he had compassion and and as, as I'm going to show you here in just a second, this is, this is so, so rich in the life of Jesus. But there, there's something that we've got to understand here. When, when we talk about a, a full circle faith, when we talk about a faith in Christ that is maturing, that is growing, that's firing on all cylinders, that we do have this, this tension between the personal and the public. But there, there is absolutely a mechanism. And, and the mechanism that I'm talking about is serving and connecting. Serving and connecting bridges the gap between a personal experience of faith and a public expression of faith. It's in that serving and in that connecting in and through the body of Christ the family of faith, the church. It's in that serving and connecting that we close the gap between what happens personally and what we express publicly. And this is what we're about to see in Jesus' life here. Look at what the Bible says, continuing the narrative in verse 15 and 16. It says, that evening, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But, everybody say but. but. But, Jesus said, that 
isn't necessary. You feed them. You feed them. Turn to your neighbor with a smile and tell your neighbor, you feed them. them. Now, this moment is a little bit of, of spiritual foreshadowing because at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, after his crucifixion, Jesus has a conversation with Simon Peter. And it's fascinating how it evolves. Jesus says to Peter, the rock, the, the foundation of his church, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, being the you know, type A, you know, just go get him. Of course I love you. Jesus says, all right. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's kind of like, we just covered this. But he's respectful. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, all right. And then a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? And at this, Peter gets a little exasperated. And he says, Lord, of course I love you. Now, before I tell you the punchline, it's interesting because that's how it translates into English. But if you go back and look at the the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic, but the New Testament was written in Greek. And in the original language of the New Testament, there, there are some word shadings that are really significant. When Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He he uses the word for love that is agape, that perfect, unconditional love. Do you agape love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. But Peter uses a different word than agape. Peter says, I phileo, I, I love you like a brother. Some translations say, I'm fond of you. And so Jesus pushes the point a little further. He says, yeah, I know you do, but do you agape love me? And Peter says, of course, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Jesus says, hey, Peter, I got to know. Do you really, really love me? Agape. No doubt about it. Unconditional. Period. Hard stop. And Peter says, yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. And then Jesus says to Peter, then feed my sheep. If you love me unconditionally, feed my sheep. Serve me. Serve my people. Elsewhere, he said that the world's going to know that you're a follower of Jesus by how you love each other, how you serve and connect as the family of faith. Do you love me? Then, Then feed my sheep. Here he tells the disciples, you don't have to send them away. You feed them. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I don't think I'm making too great or too broad an interpretive leap. Isn't it at least possible that the disciples, when they said, Lord, tell the people to go away, that the disciples were looking for a little micro vacation? Isn't it possible that the disciples were the ones who were thinking, you know, It's getting late. We are woe out. 
And, and these people haven't had anything to eat all day. They're fitting to get hangry. So, so let's, let's kind of send them on their way before that happens. And we're stuck here with, with, with 5,000, 10,000, 12,000 people and nothing to feed them. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. You feed them. You feed them. And, and this is where I think a lot of us get hung up when we think about serving, when we think about bringing what we have to the table to, to serve other people. We're like, I don't, man, I don't, I don't know. And so many people I know have, have said to me, like, but what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What, what if they ask me something I don't know? Then, then here's what you tell them at Lake Hills Church. Just if, if somebody asks you something that you don't know, you get right in line behind your pastor and say, I don't know. Turn to your neighbor and say with a smile, I don't know. Now, some of you, that was painful to say that out loud, even theoretically or hypothetically. But sometimes, I don't know is the most mature spiritual response you can give somebody. Nobody knows it all. Nobody has it all figured out. Hopefully, I, maybe I have a, a few more answers than you do. I, you know, I've been doing this a while. I've, I went to seminary, but I, I don't have them all. I can't tell you how many times I have to look people and I go, man, I don't know. We're talking about an infinite, perfect God who chooses for some reason to relate to highly finite, highly imperfect people. To, to, try, and, to try and capture that, it'd be like trying to put the ocean in a Coke bottle. There's going to be some overflow. There's, there's going to be something spewing out of there. But man, we'll find out together. We're, we're, we're going to do the best we can with what we have to work with. So, so you feed them. You serve them. And, and watch what the disciples did here. I love this. Verse 17 through 19. Jesus said, you feed them. They answered, but, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus, look at all these people. Dude, this is not going to go the distance. Verse 18. Bring them here, he said. Bring them here. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. If you're ever wondering, this is the paradigm for a miracle. They bring what they've got. And then Jesus gives thanks. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about giving something to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he begins by giving thanks. Whew. You know, in 28 years of marriage, a couple of times, I've given Julie a gift that just worked. That just, she was like, And, and, and as a husband, that's, that's about as good as it gets. You know what I'm saying? Like, when, when, you, when you ring the gift bell, that's just like, did it. <laughs> and for Julie, it's tough because she's not a big gift person. She's not really, she's not into that kind of, she, she likes gifts of service and time. and So, I mean, when, when it happens with a gift, that's, 
but to give God, to give God something of your own that he gives thanks for, to give to Christ what you have in your hands. In this case, they had five loaves and two fishes. I'm going to spoiler alert. There were 5,000 men in the crowd. So conservatively, we were talking about 10,000 people if you include women and children. Conservatively. Five loaves and two fishes. Jesus, that they bring it. Jesus takes it, gives thanks, blesses it, and then breaks it. Just, just know that sometimes when you give something to Jesus, he may use it in a way that you had no idea was coming. He, he may break up something that you considered really precious and use it to multiply in ways that you can't even imagine. If, if Jesus breaks something up that you give him, just, just believe that he's about to do something miraculous with it. He, he breaks it up and then he gives it back to them and says, now go feed them. Now, wouldn't you love to have been standing there when that happened? That would have been fascinating. Five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus says, go ahead. And the disciples are like, are they all still behind us? Are they all still waiting? We were kind of hoping during the blessing some of them would have gone to Chick-fil-A. Jesus said, no, go, just go ahead. So they did. They, they, they took it back, and they went, and they began handing it out. And, and when they got through handing out what they had in their hands, they went back and they got more and they went and they handed it to the next person and to the next person. And then, then they'd go back and every time they would come back to go serve, Jesus had already provided the resources they needed to give the blessing to other people. It's the paradigm of the miracle. It's the paradigm of blessing. We are never, ever, ever, ever blessed and expected to keep it all to ourselves. Every time God blesses something, there is an overflow into other people's lives. Every time. And so the, the key is that we bring what we have, and then we give it to Christ, and then we go use it in other people's lives. There's this, this incredible supernatural multiplication that happens. Pastor Rick Warren Pastor's Saddleback Valley Community Church in Southern California. And Pastor Rick has moved more of the kingdom forward in the last 40 years than just about anybody else on the planet. And Rick Warren is actually a genius. He, he's brilliant at breaking things down that are, that are eternal truths into ways that we can digest them and put them into practice. And one of the things that he has done is to help us identify what it is that each of us individually has to offer to God to be used throughout the world. And the way that he's done this is with an acrostic. It's the word shape. And the idea is that God has shaped you unique in all the world. He shaped me unique. There's nobody else, trust me. And so we're to consider our shape. And so I want to invite you, I want to ask you if you would, take out your program. Take out your program and open up to the, to the message notes here. And just down the left-hand side of the word, very quickly, write the word shape. S-H-A-P-E. All this is, 
is a way for us to begin to identify what it is that we have to offer, what it is that we have to give to God that he can use and multiply in other people's lives. The word shape. First of all, give me an S. S. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. This is different from a talent. This is different than what you got here with. When a person comes to faith in Christ, when, when, a, when, when a person chooses to follow Jesus, then the Holy Spirit of God places in her life or his life certain spiritual gifts to be used and exercised. Spiritual gifts. Now, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, then maybe, then I'm going to tell you, the next step for you is to figure that out. We, we have tools, we have resources available that we can give you to begin that process with God through prayer, but also by identifying some of the things that, that have happened in your life spiritually that, that are unexplainable by just the natural wiring that you got here with. Spiritual gifts are the first thing to look at. H, give me an H. H. That's your heart. Your heart. What are you passionate about? What, what is it that, that, that just moves you? And, and it can be a lot of times something that comes out of pain. It, it can be something that comes out of an experience that was incredibly negative many times. Not always, but many times. That is a great road sign to where God wants to use you the most. So what, what is your heart? What are you passionate about? A, give me an A. a. Abilities. Abilities. What are you good at? What is it that you do well? Your abilities. God wants to use those things. And, and somebody in this room or watching online, I know somebody's thinking, well, I don't do anything really well. I just kind of, you know, man, thanks for playing. You have God-given abilities. You have talents that maybe you haven't discovered, haven't been called out of you yet, but you got them. P, give me a P. P. Personality. Personality. It, it's that emotional wiring that you came with. Now, it's possible to have that wiring messed up along the way, but, but your raw personality, that's something God wants to use. Personality is a big one. And then E, give me an E. e. Experiences. Your experiences. Good, bad, and ugly. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says that God causes all things, all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things. So even the, the hurt, even the wounds of your life, God can and will use and redeem. You know, I, I've referenced that verse a lot over the years. My favorite place that I've ever preached Romans 8.28 was in prison. If you ever get the chance to preach in prison, you should totally take it, especially if you're just visiting. Um, when, when I was in, when I, I had the opportunity to go to a, an all-men's correctional facility in Brazoria County, and I, I just got put on the spot, just like, and now we're going to hear from the pastor. I was like, hey, could have used a heads up on that. And I just thought, th these were men in this maximum security prison who were going to seminary in prison. Now, try that on for size. And I, I can't tell you the joy that these guys had. I mean, they sang at the top. Of, they, they were awesome. It's probably 
80 guys in the room. And so the, I just started talking from the heart, and I just said, I just want to tell y'all thank you. You guys have changed my life today. And they started cheering. I, I'd barely gotten out of sentence, and they're, yeah, they're hooting and hollering. Yeah, we changed your life. That's what we do in here. <laughs> and then, man, then I kind of started feeling it a little bit, you know, and I was like, because you know what you guys taught me? What did we teach you, preacher? I said, you guys taught me that God causes some things to work. No, all things, all things. They start chanting, all things, all things. I'm like, let's keep it down. I said, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And I know that because those guys who graduated that seminary program in prison are then shipped out into other prisons around the state of Texas as missionaries. And the state of Texas signs off on it because wherever they go, violence drops. And when violence drops, prisons cost less. So the state doesn't really care. They're just like, hey, great. We're going to drop violence. We're going to drop corruption. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. These guys are in prison. It was awesome. What do you have to bring for Jesus to say thanks to God for what you bring him and that he can bless and multiply? You see, it, it's always, there's always this tension, but through serving and connecting, we close the gap between that personal experience of faith and that public expression of faith. Donna Gina Reese have been a part of our church family since almost the beginning, certainly since Moses was a baby. And Gina Reese has served literally now a generation plus of children through LHC Kids. And by serving those children, Gina has served their families and their parents. And by serving those families and their parents and those children, Gina has served us as a church body, as a family of faith together. You, you may never have had a child in LAC Kids, but you're blessed by Gina Reese. I want to share with you just a slice of her story. Check this out. We started going to Lake Hills Church when it was at Westlake High School in fall of 2001. Our daughter was serving in the walkers. I went ahead and started committing to working in runners um, in the cubicle right next to her, and that is where I still am today. You know, when I think of Gina Reese, I think of consistency. She and her husband, Don, have, have been a part of our church family since the early, early days when we were still meeting in the high school. So many kids that were in Miss Gina's room discovered for the first time that they enjoyed being at church because of Gina Reese. Gina's just amazing. Her ability to get a group of 12 to 24 month olds to stand all around a table at one time eating snack while listening to her lead a Bible story is pretty amazing. 
The Bible is God's Blood. word. Yay! And God's word is truth. Truth. Yay, me! Good job. Good job. And these kids in this age that I've done for so long just fill my heart with joy. We care for children, so in that sense, it's child care. But we're hopefully building a foundation for their faith and uh, their love of Jesus. I like kids. I like teaching them about the Lord. It's really cool to see now that I'm serving with her because she used to teach me and now I'm teaching with her. I have had so many um, youth help me over the years that I had when they themselves were little toddlers. And it just blows me away to see what incredible kids they are, have grown up to be. There's just something about having a church that you're confident in that when they go to the kids' ministry that they are going to learn about Jesus. They're gonna be love, you know, they're gonna love being at church. Knowing that your child is in good hands allows you, if it's Bible study, to really tune into God's Word. If it's Fearless Mom, to really pour into yourself. If it's church on Sunday, to really listen to Mac's message and to be present. Not only is Gina helping these children, but I think of all that she's done for the parents as well to help them grow their relationship with Christ is pretty incredible. The reward that you have of knowing that you are helping other families, there's nothing like it. I think the service team here at Lake Hills really exemplifies 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about there being many, but all being part of one body. It's the hundreds of volunteers that are here on a Sunday morning to be the church. We all work together to exemplify the body of Christ. There's so many little things that have to happen for people to feel welcome, for people to, to clear that emotional and spiritual hurdle to walk in the door for the first time maybe, but also to make the, the longtime follower of Christ feel at home and want to be a part of what's going on as a part of the church. We have some, some messages that we wanted to play you. Oh my gosh. She sings the B-I-B-L-D. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone of Lord of God of B-I-B-L-D. What comes next? Bible! Thank you so much. Thank you for the countless hours and the dedication that you've taken over the last 18 years to not only pour into my family, but to pour into the hundreds of families that you've impacted over the years. You have impacted me personally with my relationship with Christ. Gina, thank you so much. Hi, Miss Gina. I just wanted to thank you for all that you did for me and my brothers and my sisters. You really taught us growing up on how to be the best humans that we can be. Um, Miss Gina, you know how special you are to me. love you and I love everything you are um, to LHC and to me and my family. Thank you, Miss Gina, for being a great helper. You are a part of the reason that we're where we are and that God continues to do what He continues to do in and through Lake Hills Church. Once we had Brooklyn, 
Um, I felt such um, a burden and a responsibility knowing that I wanted her to know Jesus. Coming to Lake Hills Church and finding you and seeing the relationship that you guys have together um, really made me feel like Derek and I were not carrying that burden all by ourselves anymore. Just knowing that she comes home from a Sunday and I can ask her, um, what did you learn today? And she'll tell me that she learned about Moses and um, she says that he's a firefighter. Um, but you have taken off um, some of the burden that I've carried. And thank you is really not enough, but thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you do for Lake Hills Church. Thank you, Miss Tina. It just means the world to me um, to know I've made an impact. But, you know, that's God. I didn't do it. God has done that. ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Christ, you've never crossed that line and committed your life to following him, to serving and connecting in the family of faith, then we'd love to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just, just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. And, and it is a prayer of surrender as you surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender but he will leverage it he will use it for his glory and for your good if you want to take that step then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting right now just silently talk to God and say Jesus I need you and I will follow you. I confess my sin to you in order to claim and live in your grace and forgiveness. I give you my life in the same way spiritually that you gave me yours in this moment. I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. As we continue in a spirit of prayer, I want to make sure that you understand if that was your prayer and you meant it, then this is the biggest moment of your life. It's the most significant in your entire life because that's the moment from which God will build everything that comes after in this life and forever eternally and so as a church as a family we want to help with what's next and so for those of you who pray that prayer I want to ask you if you will open up your program just go ahead open it up to the connect card and if you would, just start filling out that top part, contact information. You'll notice right below that is a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. And if you would, just fill that out. And once you've done that, you can tear it off at the perforation there on the fold. 
fold it up. And before you leave, when we dismiss in just a moment, I want to ask you to please hand that connect card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. Or maybe you can stop at the, the hub on your way out underneath the big front porch out here. But that card is kind of where we begin to help. But we got to know that you and God came to that agreement together. Second thing is, if you would, just really briefly, as our heads are bowed for another moment, if you prayed to begin that relationship with God in Christ today, would you just raise your hand? Just quietly, but unmistakably, raise your hand up high over your head. It's just as a, a physical statement of that spiritual commitment. And know that as a family, we honor that and celebrate it. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.